Here we go. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Rough Housing Podcast. I'm Justin Rourke. And I'm John Martin. Check out our new studio. And um, we've, we are joined today by Alex Kaufman with TRE Homes. He's the operations manager over there and uh, 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 co-owner, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. And we got Brian Walker. Brian, what, uh, tell me your company name again one more Zonda. time. Zonda. Zonda. What does Zonda do? Zonda. So we're the nation's largest supplier of housing data specializing in new construction. Wonderful. Wonderful. Who, who, who do you uh, send data to? Is this? So we have a couple different divisions. Our main division, we work with builders. So we supply them data so they can make better informed decisions as to where to purchase land, how much to purchase, you know, all the economic data in the area, what size of houses. They, I mean, a whole advisory group that, that helps them with that. My division I sell mortgage data to mortgage companies so they can see which builder is doing business with which lenders, thereby allowing them to identify builders that don't have preferred lenders so they can go after them for that business. Also to see where maybe uh, some preferred lending relationships are softening, you know, seeing if there's maybe some trouble with that relationship so they can get in there. We also track um, inventory so I can tell you in the major markets how many vacant develop lots a certain builder has um, all the way down to a subdivision level. So I can say, you know, in this subdivision, D.R. Horton has 50 vacant developed lots ready and they've got 95 that are in undeveloped land. They've got 30 that are, you know, the streets are being cut and paved. So it's pretty detailed information. That's pretty awesome. Do you have just minions and spies everywhere like uh, the spider off of Game of Thrones? Um, yes and no, we pay them, so we call them surveyors. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as cool, but in the major metros, spies. we have, well, we own a satellite company. So we track everything via satellite, but we also have boots on the ground. So in the major markets, you know, we'll have a couple hundred people there and they literally will drive the subdivisions, call in. We do surveys with builders to find out, hey, you know, what's your take on what's going on? Are you guys optimistic? Are you pessimistic? Kind of how are we leaning with that? So there's a lot of surveying going on. Are, are y'all the only one who uh, covers this data? Yes. That type of data? Yeah. Correct. What made y'all decide to explore that? Um, well, this they've been doing it. So the company that owns us is a private equity firm, and they've been purchasing companies throughout the U.S. and Canada to create what is now has been rebranded as Zonda. So the companies have been around for about forty years. Uh, it was Myers Research. There was Metro Study, uh, Hanley Wood. So they've actually been working with builders for decades. Hmm. Are those wait? Are those all the same? thing but by different names or are these just different iterations of different of companies throughout of, throughout okay because yeah. like, i'm definitely familiar with myers and, and metro study yeah metro study is actually uh, a texas company and so it started in san antonio and they're the ones that do a lot of the surveying the metro study stuff okay and they're still active right am i crazy or no well they're zonda now yeah we bought okay. all of them and combined them and merged them into how do you zonda. spell zonda z-o-n-d-a okay I was as, as it sounds well, it could have been like some like new, yeah. you know, when people like Phonetics. make new like new company names and it's not spelled the way that yeah, you think it is. Because it needs to be catchy. Clear. Yeah, or like the, instead of an I, right. it's a Y. Yeah. I was like X A N D A. Answer, <laughs> answer how you will, but I will judge the shit out of you. Z O N D dash H A. Santa. Santa. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's it's Brazilian. Anyways, 
just so y'all know, everybody listening to us, uh, we are looking for sponsors. So someone's got to help us keep these lights on. Do you have a business that you want promoted? Are you in the Austin, San Antonio metro area? Start connecting with everyone in the real estate industry that need to know who you are. See our contact in the episode notes, and let's get you out there. Come on, bring it. Um, we need it. And also, please, let's try try to help spread the word for this podcast. If you guys like what you see, hit the like button, the subscribe button, hit the little bell. That way you get notifications that we're coming at you with some new content. We enjoy doing this. Um, we'd like this thing to grow. So share it. Spread the love. Tell your friends, I will be watching on social media, and I will be following if you're sharing. Please do. Just hit I'm it watching. right now. Hit it right now. Yeah, hit it right now. Just do it. There you go, Alex. Hit it right now. <laughs> you already Come did. On, do it now. Alex is already working himself up to be a repeat guest. Yeah. So <laughs> Let's get so it on the books. Anyways, uh, I have one more thing here. Uh, we have a uh, disclaimer. Uh, our guy, uh, Daniel, is going to help us film that, uh, make it be a video, but... You might get offended through this podcast. Um, you might get offended at everything. That might just be your MO. Um, but if that's the case and that's who you are, then go on and move on to uh, cat videos. This is not for you. <laughs> you should just go. Um, nothing we say is meant for uh, advice. And most of the time we're kidding around. We're trying to get a laugh out of people. We're having a good time. Obviously, there's a couple drinks here. Give us a break. Be flexible. Stop holding us to standards that you can't hold. Go on now and get. Go on now, get. Like, can I get a go on now, get? Go on now, get. Go on now, get. Go on now, get. Okay, cool. All right, guys. Well, yeah. I mean, I always started tripping already, but uh, Did every, I, every, I'm curious. Have people complained about that before? No, 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 nothing yet. But as we were kind of referencing on the front end, we we've had some hesitance on actually putting out the the episodes that we've made in the past because the people that were on it. Just were a little, little weary that that it would get them in some trouble. So yeah. I mean, it, we, nothing's been too outlandish yet. We've had a lot of fun. We've we've chopped up a lot of dialogues <laughs> and topics. But you episode know, three is now in the graveyard. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It <laughs> sounds like y'all are setting kind of a high bar for us. Like we got to well, be funny and raunchy. Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, say what you will. I mean, and, and every word's on the table here. But here's the deal. And everybody's heard this before. I mean, we we want to kind of remove the curtain a little bit. Talk about the. The things that are pointed to the industries, but also the things that you won't read about, the things that your average agent or stat professional isn't going to just disclose in a normal dialogue. I mean, that's that's the juicy stuff. It's like what what's going to entertain people, and it's you know we want to be we want to be stat driven from time to time, but we, we also want to be entertaining. We need to think about our audience too. We are real estate nerds hanging out talking about real estate and other things adjacent, and so we've got to give them something to tune into, some little juice. And if people are going to let, learn some of the trade industry kind of like you know behind that curtain sort of thing. Let's let's yeah. tell them what it's all about. It's not full secret sauce, but I want a, I want a couple ingredients. I mean, no, it's good. Just, I was just curious. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think it's good that y'all have that attitude. Yeah. Well, also with the uh, disclaimer is we're telling you now. So like, if you continue, <laughs> then that's on you. That's on you, not that's, us. That is you true. messed up. I asked my boss, you know, because of course I had to get clearance in order to of be on, on the podcast and stuff, and she's like, "Well, just don't embarrass." Embarrass us, and I was like, "Well, it is going to be open bar, so <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. I'm not sure exactly what's going to be coming out of my mouth. I mean, I'm not really one to be quiet. <laughs> that's I mean, my, uh, and, and that's why you're here. Yeah, the John knows who, that. Who yeah. couldn't, who couldn't talk and be on here, and obviously, it's like, well, what are we going to do? Just send us stare a at each other, home yeah. vision. Um, go before today's yes, beef. Sir. So, so a little bit about everybody, Brian. Thanks for kind of disclosing what you do, Alex. Real quick, I was going to ask you off air, but now I kind of want to know a little bit more. I know you and Justin were chopping it up. 
Um, Matt Trefke is your business partner. Um, I've had some interactions with him. He's 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 been in the game for a little bit. Makes some noise in his own right. Tefke, Tefke, T E I F K E, Tefke. God, it's all good. Y'all just wrong. say whatever you want. I throw an R in there. My bad, Matt. Tefke, you know, I mean, yeah, thing. man. So it's Tefke. Yeah, huh? Tefke. All right. Okay. Well, either way, if he comes here on this actual podcast, I'll get it right when he's here. But yeah. That would say that would lure him in. Just like, hey, hey, if you want me to get your name right, buddy. Yeah, come set it straight, Matt. Anytime you want. But but nevertheless, you know, I've seen him do some some good things in the market. You guys had a man management company similar to us that kind of went a different direction so so what's your day-to-day operation like and what do you specialize in sure so what we specialize in uh together and as a company in general is really uh creative real estate investing uh so ultimately that's our goal we have a real estate brokerage we did have management uh we have things that we put on to teach people how to invest in real estate we have a fund where we raise capital invest in real estate uh, but ultimately, our goal is to own more real estate. Uh, and as real estate agents and uh, investors, you know, it worked out really well on the brokerage side, teaching real estate agents how to be creative, go into seller conversations, and not just get a listing for a house, but figure out, hey, can I buy this? Can I convince the seller to seller finance this to me? Can I buy it subject to? Can I get this under contract and wholesale it? Uh, and so that's what we specialize in is deals finding deals, getting deals done. Um, and right now we're really focusing on, like I was just talking to Brian earlier about buying bigger commercial deals. There's a really uh, big opportunity there right now. There's money there. And, and I, I, I know I I subscribed to something Matt cranked out about a year ago, somewhat like a hedge fund where you you know, you know throw some money at a, at a pool and you guys basically drive the engine that picks up these acquisitions. Yep. And then there's you know kind of an investment tier for it. Are you guys still kind of rolling through that model? Where did that go? Yeah, uh, so that was the uh, Thierry Growth Fund, uh, Fund One. Uh, it's shut down in terms of raising capital, bringing in. We had one year to raise the capital for it, then it cuts off, and now we got the assets that we bought, and so we can buy, sell within the current fund structure. Uh, I think we raised, uh, you know, a couple million, uh, bought I think uh, twenty million dollars worth of real estate, give or take. Um, and so we have a good little portfolio, a lot of creative stuff. So like sixplex in Round Rock, uh, we bought nine houses in Lubbock for like five thousand dollars down. Uh, some duplexes uh, and things like that. But it's going well. Uh, first fund. It was the first time that we raised capital uh, from investors. Typically, we just go partner with somebody, create a new entity. But it was becoming uh, very unscalable uh, to do that. How, how so? Can you elaborate on that? Or is that on the partner company? side? Well, you said unscalable. I'll yeah. Let you so just imagine it. like uh, you and me own a duplex together. You and me own a fourplex together. Us three own uh, you know an eightplex together. Me and Brian own two single family rentals together. Me and those two people out there have you know a house together, two houses together. There are and really we, people out there, and yeah. we Believe we've got <laughs> we've got that with uh, you know. 10, 12, 20, 30 different people. Now I got 30 different tax returns. I got 30 different sets of books I got to keep. It just becomes very hard to scale that. Uh, The admin piece gets a little cumbersome when you deal with a bunch of different heads. And entities too, I imagine, right? So you guys kind of just created one umbrella, one one vessel to do it all. Yeah, so the growth fund, uh, you know, it's a GPLP structure. uh, And whenever we General partnership, limited partnership. LP, uh, limited partners. 
And so the LPs invest money, so do we on the LP side. Uh, and then the GPs are the ones who are making all the decisions, operating the deals, they're the ones finding the deals, you know, making all the decisions and then paying the returns to the uh, passive investors. And so uh, that's worked out much better to have it underneath one versus, you know, every investor in there. Makes sense. Us having 20 different yeah, partnerships. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested um, when it comes to, to getting the capital, um, are you out on the market looking for capital uh, now from banks or are you strictly going off of the capital you raised? How do you plan uh, yeah, on growing yeah. that? So the capital, you know, it could go either way, right? Uh, but capital raised is typically used for the down payment and improvements and such. And then we go get loans from banks uh, yeah. for the other finance. So I was going to ask you about that because um, I was just at an event where some of the larger banks, um, some of the builder people from larger banks were talking um, and they've really cut back on funding it's tight um they've changed their parameters you know they've um lowered their ltvs they've or i'm sorry they raised their ltvs mm -hmm. um and it's just getting really tight from the bank's portion it's very tight so a lot of the investors and builders and stuff like that are looking outside of traditional financing which i think is where you would come in correct uh in, in terms of us providing financing so well, you're still looking for, well, the, for the loan piece too to leverage that correct yeah i mean real estate uh Real estate bought without leverage is an yeah. okay investment. You're right? just burning mm -hmm. all your funds. Right. Real estate with leverage is a much better investment. Well, and that's one on one. And I, before, um, I, I don't want to steal the mic from you, Justin. I don't know you've, you've been chomping to ask something, but is that. I'm <laughs> so anxious right <laughs> now. Is, Everyone there, can there's, see a it. there's a million layers to this, let you right? Talk, as, as, far as, as far as the, these investment goes, basically what Alex's saying is it, use bank money to make more money so you're not burning all your capital. They're using everybody's capital to, to build a big nest egg so that they can leverage each individual purchase with other bank assets so that they can grow their portfolio. Yeah. What do you do? You guys think as far as why they've tightened up on this is that all directly related to the interest rates hiking, everything else going with that? Can we kind of look at the back end? Maybe Brian, you can shed some light on this. Is why they are why are they tightening that up in these kind of platforms when the money's there, right? It's like why are the LTVs going up in these platforms and why are they getting so strict on the way they loan? Well, it's risk, right? Uh, they obviously, you know, it'd be great to hear from an actual banker. Uh, but from myself, you know, my point of view, uh, it's just a matter of risk, uh, you know, mitigating that risk. And, you know, who knows how well their liquidity is. Uh, you know, earlier this year, they had a lot of banks going under, you know, signature Silicon Valley Bank. I mean, Silicon Valley Bank kind of set the whole domino effect, mm -hmm. right. um, it, it, which is, of course, has affected commercial lending. And, you know, you and I were talking before we started about this big commercial bubble that's sitting over the entire nation right now, trillions of dollars that are gonna be coming up for refinancing at such a high rate. It's like, what are they gonna do? How are we gonna handle this? But now you're also looking at, you know, San Francisco, what is their commercial um, occupation rate? I mean, um, the occupied buildings, especially even here in Austin. It's, it's awful, isn't it? Right. I, I was so, in California all summer and uh, every single commercial building I saw had like a four lease. They were just like, it, they just look like shells. Yeah, so why do banks wanna lend on building more of that when, you know, so there's a lot of mitigating factors plus the interest rates being so high. So it's kind of a, a perfect storm right now for not only for commercial, but for for just your average American. Yeah, Most I'm, I'm gonna hop in real fast. Go just going back to your, which, sorry, I've, I have been thinking about 
the same uh, your your TRE fund mm -hmm. in different in different ways. Mm -hmm. Like y'all y'all took it on y'all kind of took it way further than I imagined. Um, but you were talking about how it was becoming unsustainable. But if you're did everyone buy into the fund as a limited partner and have a certain percentage ownership of the of the of the company or do they do or did they own certain percentages of the real estate whereas i think if you own a certain percentage of the the partnership and then you got back your percentage return then that that would eliminate that would eliminate everybody you know, if you you own a duplex, you own a triplex, you own this. We're okay, having okay. to figure out your percentage ownership. <laughs> you of can, no, 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 it's you not like that. Yeah. So, so the way that it's structured is uh, there's, and I'm not the expert on this. Our partner, uh, we have another partner on the fund. His name's Jason. Jason, if you want to come on this podcast, from really, Jason, really, really smart guy. Uh, he uh, he works for a big multifamily developer, Amley. Uh, mm -hmm. He's this the little uh, bitty company. We might have to bleep family. They have not considered this. <laughs> and he's just a little bitty company. But I'm live. I'm live. I'm alive. I'm alive. Well, well, we're not hot holding things back, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. let them rip. Anyways, there, there's two. Uh, there's two yeah. class structures, right? So you got A and B shares. Uh, the general partners have uh, one of those shares. I think it's the A, and then the uh, limited partners have B shares. And so all the real estate is owned. Uh, by either you know one or multiple of these entities that they all have ownership in, mm -hmm. so uh, they have a percentage ownership based on the amount that they invested, uh, which makes up the total you know capital amount. Uh, they get an equal portion for that based on you know what they invested, but it's also split between GPs and LPs. So yeah, GPs that, that would be kind of the. Well, I've rub. seen some decks from some of these like bigger. Um, apartment complexes that have have pitched to me, or I've had some friends that this get the you know you pay fifty grand. Here's your return. It's a, you know it's, I guess, with those, I, how do, are y'all structured with, with the appreciation there there your percentage comes more. How transparent are y'all on the real numbers of the market and when y'all dissolve assets? I mean like oh, I know the GPs I mean, are already. It's doing it. I mean it's it's all transparent. No one's right. you know. Uh, if you're, you know, fraudulent or trying to hide things, it's a uh, securities fraud. Like you're selling securities. Uh, okay. These are regulated by the SEC, and so it's all transparent. Is they it get, a REIT? No, it's not a REIT. It's a uh, uh, just a, a fund. Is that why you had a year to raise capital, or was that a self-imposed deadline? No, it's SEC deadline. Okay, I figured. Nice. You can set it up right where uh, it's an evergreen fund. You can continuously raise into it. But the mm -hmm. way that we set it up. I think it was 506C, uh, uh, Regulation D uh, fund, meaning that we could talk about it on stuff like this and podcasts, but it had to be only accredited investors. Okay. So you had to have uh, whatever those uh, rules are with the SEC. Certain amount of assets, like certain amount of assets yeah, and I think capital. It's, and I think it's a million, or a million or $2 million net worth, not including your primary residence, or and or you make uh, over two hundred thousand dollars a year, or three hundred thousand dollars as a uh, as a married couple. Nice. Mm -hmm. Okay, you're, so you're boxing out the tiny people. Bona fide Bobby Axelrod. You ever watch? You ever <laughs> not, watch Millions? Anybody watch that show? Millions? But I have not. Bobby Axelrod. He's an investor, and the SEC it's, gets involved too because he, you know, they're, they're a little bit more crooked. But um, some of that kind of lingo is, gets referenced on that. It's a good show. You need to watch it. Yeah, I don't I'll have that much time. Millions. Yeah, I know. I don't. Go I don't have you as much time. You don't Here, the bed. I don't have that much time, Joe. Here's what I really like, and this is what I think <laughs> I is going to get a lot of people through whatever sort of uh, recession-like tendencies that were downturn. seeing downturnish tendencies. Adjustment. Hey, we'll find out after, after the elections. That's when the that's when the stats get corrected. About well, six I months mean, later. How, how old are you? 
38. You had to think about that? And yeah, I, I did. think I saw you counting, actually, like 20. You did I was like, no, you I did. I was like, well, well I try to forget. I usually <clears throat> round up, but I gave you the actual I mean, number. this is, no, I mean, this is nothing new. It's a little bit new in the sense that, you know, the last housing recession was caused by a lot of just really bad lending. Um, the movie The Big Short, anybody? Sorry, I'm talking. I know that references. He does this all the time. Carry on. Um, so, I mean, one of the biggest things and one of the biggest differences now is that, you know, back in the '80s, and you probably—I don't know if you're old enough to remember it—interest rates were double digits. Yeah, they were wild. No, they were—they were way up there. And, and people are like, "Well, in, you know, in the '80s, interest rates were double digits." And I'm like, "Yeah, and houses were ninety-five thousand dollars." What? So today we're dealing with houses double the price they were just two years ago. And at what I think it's at eight percent now. Mm -hmm. Who can afford that? It's challenging, but prices are coming down though because of the interest rates. So it, I, now I think prices a lot of are, can only snapshot. come down so much because dealing with builders, which is what I do, mm -hmm. builders are very resistant to lowering their price because of appraisal problems. Mm -hmm. Because now you have a builder who's this house sold at this price, but now it's selling at this price. What's it going to be next time? So the appraisal. Um, indications on those is kind of iffy. So they have to, it's not like they can be like, okay, let's just completely adjust back to where we should be. Now your individual sellers are gonna be like, no, I wanna- They're gonna fire sell it, they're gonna need to cash out. Well, your individual seller is like, no, well, one, I'm not moving out of my 2.99% interest to go into an 8%. I'm not selling my home. Mm -hmm. The locked in effect is what we're seeing now with resale inventory. Um, but you're also not gonna get, I just lost my train of thought. I didn't even say anything. It was just left no, the it's station. okay. We're, ta we're talking about how, <laughs> thing, how things are now. Oh, now, compared to before. Compared so to before. We've weathered every single storm that, that's hit us. Now, what happened was during COVID, you had every Tom, Dick, and Harry becoming a real estate agent or a loan officer because there was so much business being had that nobody could handle them. So what we're seeing now is that we're, you know, everybody's like, oh, the industry is imploding. Mm, it's correcting itself. Yeah. You know, it's weeding out all the coffee shop realtors and the coffee shop loan officers. And you're going to be left with the same people that made it through the 2008, you know, correction, that made it through the 80s, that made it through all of these different things. So I don't see a bleak or really negative right now. I see it. It's just a correction. If you were to compare numbers now to numbers in 2019 we are on a trajectory we're, of normal we're, back, growth. we're moving back to that trajectory yeah. and i've, well, and I've seen stat i i teach a class here and i've seen stats that even like on a uh number of units closed versus days on market kind of spread you know i go i go this is what it looks like for the past two years and you're like oh wow what a sharp change this is what it's like over the past three years okay we start to see COVID here and i go this is what it was like five years ago with 2019 i'm like if you look at 2019's trajectory and where we are now, we're kind of like yeah. aiming up about the same thing. So we're kind of coming back to it. What people and what people don't realize is that everyone got everyone. You know, we had Chris ja Christopher Jacob in here beforehand. He was just like basically the dollar got shorted. Everybody got a chance that little guys who own properties got to got to sell them, make a bunch of money off of it. People jumped into the real estate uh, industry, a bunch of people made money, and now it's going back to the way that it was, and there's a lot of belly aching about interest rates, but even then on a historical perspective, it's like eight percent isn't that isn't that bad compared to what it was in the eighties and then right. then someone's gonna be like, Hey grandpa, that's cool, but you know, we have yeah, we prices here are in the a 80s. lot different yeah. now. So for I, I, and I tell people this all the time and I give an example about my house in twenty nineteen. Thank you, God, for making me do it right before <laughs> shit hit the fan. 
Um, my PIT, I have my principal interest tax and income and, and insurance, is nineteen hundred a month. If I were to buy the exact same house today, now I haven't run it at eight percent. I ran it at seven percent. If I bought that exact same house today, my PITI would be almost five thousand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it definitely changes the game, and, and we're seeing the effects of that. But to Justin's point, I mean things are just coming back down to earth. It, it will level out. What you were saying eventually. Yeah, everything you, corrects. You know, and it, and it has to, and it, and it was inevitable either way. You can't have that pie in the sky, two percent interest rates for a lifetime. But it it is that mind fuck Ooh, where people sure are like, nice. yeah, but I want it this way. I want an oompa loompa now. And now <laughs> now things are kind of coming back to all right. This is the real world of real estate. We're gonna have about an eighteen month period where we're gonna correct everything. And then the rates will come back down. I think we'll kind of get back to the to the fives, you know, and the the high fours, back where it's kind of stabilized. And then prices will get back to where we don't get too excited about. Yeah, the high I'm fours. not. I'm not totally sure. I'm not totally sure if it I'm will. talking I think two years from now. I think it, no. well. I think there needs to be a reason because what I have said for a very long time was that the interest rates were kept incredibly low and probably lower than they should have. And please correct me because you have a much yeah, better pedigree than I do but I thought that um, coming out of the re- coming out of the recession <laughs> coming out of the the, re- the great recession um, they kept interest rates low we had tax credits and all these other things and they kept them as low as they possibly could but there was a certain point in time to where the mark the market was humming that they probably should have said hey let's let's kick it up a little bit well let's let, kick it up a little bit let me let's tell you what happened basically bit. is that the federal government threw the housing industry under the bus to try to save the economy to try to slow the economy down because housing is such a big portion of what they're they're measuring when inflation comes. So they were trying to slow that down big time because you know it blew up. Everybody made millions and millions and probably billions of dollars during COVID. You know, you had your underwear realtors and your underwear loan officers that were sitting Where do we in, find these people again? I'm sorry. Where they're, <laughs> well, <laughs> if, if they're sitting at home in their underwear, they're, they're not doing well. Let's just put it there. I see, I see what you said. They're probably going to be. The waist up Zoomers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's how I do all my Zoom calls. Yeah, you're the waist up Zoomer kind of guy. This is well. Ryan, show me your legs. I usually, <laughs> I'm usually in gym shorts and then I'll be in a gym shirt and when I have to do a Zoom, I got my shirt next to me and I'll throw a polo on. So you guys. You guys, you guys yeah, really don't think we'll, we'll, we'll go sub six, sub five and a half? They, no. they, so two years here, from now? here's the thing: unless we go into like some sort of depression or a or a declared recession, which right now I I, I have a hard time believing much that comes out of comes out of the right. that house in D.C. But um, I, I I think that unless they have that, unless they have the need to, they're probably going to bring it up because it's a tool because it's a tool to to reignite uh, the the economy when they need it. Um, and why would you give that up unless you have a need to? Otherwise, the same thing is going to happen, and then they don't have the tool. It makes sense that they're doing it now because they're like, "Hey, we don't need this. We're going too. We're we're burning too hot. We got to cool this thing off a little bit. Right, but Let's raise these interest rates. Flows and inevitably going to come back down. But if, well, it, gets too, that, but if it gets too, but if it gets too cold, we're going to need to put some more energy. We're not going to see it. the two percenters in our lifetime. I'm sorry, ever are we again. interrupting you? Sorry. Well, no, well, no. But we're, we really aren't. We are, Sometimes we're, we have these moments where we just like, we really, we, we really aren't going to see see two percent at all, right? No, but I, mean, I think no, it's very no, you're not. logical that election periods come around. We're going to see decreased rates, and we're going to see stimulus. Well, the only, the only way you're going to see so I, I, you all know this. I don't know if if people out there know this, but the um, obviously mortgage rates and interest rates are two different things. Right. They're they're changed by two different things. So what we're looking at is the 10-year bond, the yield on the 10-year bond. Now the spread between the 30-year mortgage and the 10-year bond is as big as it's ever been. It's historically too big. 
So what the Fed needs to do is bring down that yield on the 10-year bond in order to lower interest rates. And so all of the events I've gone to, all the economists that I've heard speak, they are expecting it to be back in the fives sometime late next year. Now, they're also expecting that once it hits somewhere in the fives, consumer confidence is gonna pick back up into, okay, I feel better about paying a 5.5% interest rate now. Mm-hmm. So it's just yeah. a matter of getting that 10-year bond yield down. But that's what I said. I mean, they are. that's what I said, booty traps. They're going back into the fives at some point within the next 18 months to two years. I, there's well, a, hopefully, I, you know. Alex sitting over there just absorbing Alex, everything. Tell us, <laughs> I wanna, I want, to the, us here, man. Yeah. Tell us what's going on. Break me off. Yeah, I mean, uh, the economy is, is not slowing down right now, right? Uh, jobs are still good. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a lot of good that's economic it. data out there. Yeah, jobs have to stop. In jobs. Order that, to I think that's going to be. I think that's going to be the trigger effect to make yeah. them bring it down. But sorry, continue. Yeah. No, you're good. I mean, uh, the way that I look at it is, um, at least from what we do, is uh, none of our business uh, in any way, shape, or form is reliant upon you know this thing being good or that thing being good. We're really uh, able to, you know, adapt and shift and change wherever we need to at all times. And right now is the best opportunity I've ever seen uh, to buy deals. Uh, Number one, uh, there's no buyers, right? right? Uh, And there's a lot of sellers. Now, the sellers, uh, especially on the investment and commercial side of things, uh, right now, they're not to the point to where they're willing to sell these properties at such a low price. Um, and they're a little, you know, stuck in 2021 prices when they bought it at a four cap, a five cap. Mm-hmm. You're familiar with cap rates? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, they bought it at a four cap, five cap, but now interest rates are seven and a half, eight percent, uh, and they're unable to sell at the prices that they want to, so they're going to have to come down. I think it's a uh, 1.5 trillion in uh, commercial debt that is coming up for, uh, you know, maturity in the next yep. 18 months or so. I, I haven't been able to understand that where everyone talks about like this commercial debt is and I, I pay attention to like as far as like I, I pay attention to like YouTube news versus versus like yeah. what I see on like ABC or something like that but I hear this they always talk about this um, commercial all this commercial debt which is coming due within a certain period of time but I'm thinking but if each loan is its own each if each loan is its own thing and it's based upon the property, I guess maybe it's not for commercial loans. It's not it's not uh, or a commercial property. It's not a thirty year mortgage or no. something. Don't they like all that? get packaged mm-hmm. up? They just, are they small? Are they shorter to... term to where they can say no? Definitely, it's going to be twelve to eighteen months. Most of them are yeah, it's... having to refinance between now and then. is that the length of term? Yeah, I mean they're typically amortized over you know twenty twenty five years, uh, and the rate locks are typically you know two to five years or so. So, you know, they operate on the arms uh, or they may be locked for a certain period of time. So people bought in 2019 and 2024 there and they had a five year rate lock, their uh, rate locks coming up. Or if they bought in 2021, had a two year rate lock or maybe they had interest only debt for, you know, 24 months, 12 months, whatever it is. Uh, And if that debt is adjusting uh, or just simply maturing, uh, you know, they're screwed. Right. Well, but that's there, basically yeah, because they can't. There's a lot of screwing f- about to happen. That's basically because they can't <laughs> fill them right now. But there was such a push. There was such a push um, to get people back in the office place. Um, and I've been hearing more and more. I forget who it was. Um, I was listening to. I was listening to YouTube last night. I forget. But there was one big company that was like, actually, 
we're going to let go of anybody who's not willing to come in three days a week to the office. And I think that there is more of a push. And I kind of feel like the any sort of like I think I think they're probably going to have be backed up by the what, government looking out for the best interest of the populace. You know, if there's people who are like going on strikes, obviously we've got all these other strikes happening in different places. I think as far as where the government's going to put its like support. Um, as far as getting people back into the into the into the office place, wouldn't they say, "Yeah, we want to promote this idea"? No, we're not going to support this, or no, we're not going to go in this. Cause, well, cause I mean, the problem right now they're just the problem right now they're just in is look at employment rates. So I mean, high. they're so high. It's like, why do we need to help you get people in the office? You know, mm-hmm. why do I need to help your business? And I think one of the issues, um, you know, with commercial is what happened with COVID. People realized. I don't need this space. Mm-hmm. Um, now, some people are trying to save the commercial real estate business by saying, come back in, because maybe productivity is a little bit higher, but yeah. when you look at, at the cost of keeping that space, the overall cost is ridiculous. Um, now, you had t- you were talking about rate locks and stuff like that, and I, um, I was at a Housing Wire event. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Housing familiar. Wire. So, um, it was that one, Bastrop, Lost Pines, just a little plug. Lost Pines. Um, Hi, but Lost anyway, Pines. it was very interesting. Pines. When you look, people, People tend to look at the U.S. and then they they're like, "Oh, this is happening to us." This is happening. If you look globally, people in other countries are so screwed because they don't have a thirty-year fixed mortgage. Mm-hmm. We're one of the only countries that has a thirty-year fixed mortgage. Now, here's another great reason to get into home ownership is that we have a thirty-year fix, which means your your housing is a fixed amount every year. May go up a little bit with taxes and and, with insurance, but your PI is gonna be fixed for 30 years. Whereas the rental market will be going up every year, housing will be going up every year, you'll be getting an increase in salary, you know, hopefully every year, but that will remain constant for the life of that loan. Just to kind of create a, uh, just a point for anyone who's not who's not aware we have we have fixed rate mortgages which is really unique to the U- to the US market whereas other in other areas correct me if i'm wrong it tends to be more of adjustable rate yes Adjust- so it so the prices and everything like that will uh, each month will fluctuate depending upon what the interest rates are correct and that's why you see like so many uh, a lot of the news that i read about people losing their homes and stuff like that it's not here in the US it's like in Europe it's in it's in England Mm-hmm. you know, where it's an adjustable rate. And then there are some fixed rates, but they're not 30-year fixed rates. You may have a five-year fixed rate or a 10-year fixed rate, but then it's gonna adjust after that. So if we compare ourselves to ourselves, yes. But if you look at the whole world in, in general, at where we are standing, we are so incredibly fortunate. And if you don't own a home, buy a home, please, because that is, one, the single biggest investment you will probably ever make in your life. It, historically, it always appreciates. You have a fixed housing number, you know, as long as you're right. in a 30-year fix. If you're renting, you don't know what your rent's gonna be next year. I mean, look what happened during COVID when people's rents went from 1,600 to 2,300 because of supply and demand. So being able to, to budget that amount is also gonna help with basically, quote unquote, generation wealth. You're gonna be able to save more money because your housing costs aren't going up like everybody else. So one on that note too, and I was gonna mention this earlier, I mean, when the market does correct itself, I mean, that, that pie in the sky spoiled people, but even before then, 
the historical data on appreciation rates in the city from Cow and Buda to Gerald out to Leander was about a four to eight percent annual appreciation rate across the board. I mean, like that's those prior. Are, that, yeah, those are phenomenal. Before then, before the right. 30, 40 percent in yeah, a two-year yeah. period, which right. is bananas. But that that four to eight percent in, in an annual return is amazing, no matter how you cut it. And if you break that down on the investment side as well, you have somebody paying that mortgage for you with the market rents that you can increase over over each year, calendar year. As as the taxes grow, you can you can adjust that. Once we get back to baseline what you're saying is exactly true. I mean, there's, there's no way in, in my mind, it's, it's hard, it's hard fetched to find scenarios where that doesn't work on a long-term goal, like a 10 year trajectory of home ownership, investment property ownership, unless you just, you know, money pit house, you know, that another movie reference um, that, that you, that you get that just keeps, keeps churning and burning. So Yes, buy houses always. Don't be afraid of these interest rates. Those will change. What Alex was saying, these prices, we haven't seen this negotiation power on the buyer side in years. You can bully people around. It sucks to be a seller right now. That's the reality of it. Things are challenging for people to get what they want when they mm-hmm. sell their home. But if you're you buying it. sold a year ago. Yeah, I mean, but if you're buying it, you could do it. Clippable moment. Yeah, clippable moment. Clippable moment. <laughs> clippable People, moment. you know, give us some give us some some insights, some comments about what you're dealing with right now as a seller and maybe a buyer. But we're we're seeing it. Justin, and I see it all the time. I mean, if you have cash right now and you're you're willing to put that into a house, you can throw anything at any any piece of inventory and get exactly what you want. I mean, you can bully people around. You are the schoolyard bully at that well, point. I mean, only if they want to sell though. Yeah. Because the, what we're looking at right now is people don't want to sell because well, I've got a two point nine nine thirty year fixed. Why yeah. the you hell would I sell that? You still, still got on the contrary. To, yeah. But yeah. I, will, contrary, I will move and rent that out. We, we have tons of investors. Well, that's, because, a, that's a different strategy. Yeah. And, and that's I I I. Adopt that strategy. I see, never, see, I never want to sell a piece of real estate, and I've given up. I've given up like generational real estate in hey, my life. Lands. Not, not me. Southwest Parkway Lands. Southwest Parkway. Uh, <laughs> my family has given up uh, generational will, uh, generational real estate, and I Parkway. and I totally regret it. Thing I had, had two point six acres off of Southwest Parkway, and it would have been a oh. just killer. Oh. Now, now, so a developer bought it and put like thirty. 800k three-story townhomes on them and i was just like so how long how long in therapy did it take you to kind of deal with that uh i haven't (laughs) gone to therapy i've been working it out by hitting you just drive by going damn it could have been mine yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh oh, it's on my daily commute every day oh that's even worse it stabs me in the heart and the and the road the road road is named after my mom's maiden name too so i'm like well that's that's good at least yeah, oh yeah, it's, yeah, it's some it's lineage there. Great There's down like memory what's lane. A, what's a name though when it comes to? I don't know. They came up with 80, some eighty or thirty eighty eight hundred thousand k properties. Yeah, now I yeah, now I'm like name. looking at it and I'm just like, oh my god, that just kills me. And if I had been in, if I had been five years ahead at that time, I probably would have said no, 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 no. Honey, well, you know, it, it's always hindsight. Yeah, I know. <laughs> if we all had hindsight, I mean, I had so many investments that I had. Um, when I met you, I was actually a builder, and I had oh, check this out. So I had a Jaguar that she let me drive one time mid shift. Remember Jaguar? I must have been drunk. Oh, you're hammered. Okay. Absolutely. Was it a stick shift or was it a? I don't uh, remember. I think it was, <laughs> no. it was just like it was like a convertible Jaguar. We, I, sh- I swung it around. I think I bottomed out outside of Mercado. Oh. I remember doing it. You were in the car. And you're like, I don't care. Oh, well, <laughs> whatever. It's all coming back to me now. I feel like Celine Dion. It's all coming back to me now. So um, <laughs> Celine Dion. When I when when. Uh, when you were over serving me at El Mercado, <laughs> I did not. I, I was did in, not. TV I was clippable, clippable, <laughs> clippable. <laughs> so, um, I was buying 
half acre lots in Bashop in Tahitian Village oh. from the water district for $500, $200 a piece. Wow. I had amassed 72 half acre lots in Tahitian Village. I picked it up dirt, dirt cheap. So I had done a couple spec houses. Um, part of it was an undeveloped, so we were working on getting some dirt roads and stuff cut like that. But then the fires happened. Um, yeah, yeah, the Mem- Bastrop fires. Memorial Day, Bastrop fire. Uh, when was that? Was that? 2011. Mm-hmm. Oh, this Memorial is Day. 100 days of 100 degrees. When people were talking about this this past summer, they've been like, it's so hot. It's the it's the most record, you know, hot summer ever. I was like, in 2011, we had the Bastrop fires and my well went dry and I had to go like overnight, go find an apartment. Yeah, I mean, it just kind of like today's market. So it can always be worse and it always gets better. But um, yeah, then the fires happened and it burned half Tahitian and people were given away because they just wanted to move and they lost their houses. And oh, wow. But to your perspective with, with investors is you can find these deals out there. I picked up, uh, it was at a tax, um, tax auction and I picked up a lot, um, St. John and I-35 and it was on the east side. And I picked it up for like 19 grand and a year or two later I sold it for 60 grand. Yeah. So you can find this stuff, and I don't know if people are still doing this or not, but like when I came across the water district in Tahitian Village, I'm like, cha-ching. So from an investment standpoint, there's some really, really good deals out there if you're willing to do the research for it. Yeah. Well, and Alex, you guys, how long do you hold your stuff normally? I mean, what's the t- typical timeline? I mean, you guys five years minimum, or y'all depends on the market? I mean, I'm sure it's a moving target. Yeah, we typically don't like selling real estate either. Yeah. Uh, so we're long-term buy and hold. We want to hold on to everything for as long as we can. Yep. Uh, but we will sell some things, trade up, use it to go buy better assets. Uh, the fund has to have, uh, it's not an evergreen fund for forever. <laughs> so that one has a five-year uh, timeline on it. Uh, next fund we do probably do like 10 years. But if it comes to the end of those five years and you know it was now, for example, uh, we would not be selling. We have the ability to, you know, let the investors know, like, hey, you know, we're making the decision that we need to hold on to this for everybody's investments and and not sell right now. And do y'all ever catch flack from the investors because they want their little coins now, they want their little pennies. So I mean, I guess it's probably not a good strategy, like cash out refis, especially that's all market conditions, right? But I mean, how do you how do you feed the fish in the sense of these investors? Like, I want my shekels back. Sure. Well, I mean. Uh, they're all good properties, right? So they all provide, you know, good cash flow and good returns. Uh, we've only, you know, uh, raised this capital from them specifically for this first fund uh, for about a year. Right. So, you know, haven't really fully. So you haven't, you hit, haven't gotten the hungry, that, hungry mouse yet? I mean, they, they haven't however, started knocking at the door. However, I mean, we could buy back their shares from them if we wanted to. Okay. Other, other people could buy them back if we wanted to. Uh, but, I mean, ultimately, like, no one is selling right now because they want to. Right. You know, people are. It's, it's a ha- it's a have to situation. See, see, yeah. I think there's gonna be I think there's gonna be an aggregate uh, of have tos that are just that's just going to happen by hook or crook. It's not gonna be. It's not gonna be. I think everybody. half of it's have to, but half of it's panic. I Man, you and I see that a lot with with our landlords yeah, right we've, now. We've, we've got past, some. We've got some investor landlords. Eight, nine that months that are just junk. People that have picked up properties. You know, two years ago, a year ago, and they're just like, "Well, I got to dump it." It's like, dude, you're gonna. You're gonna lose a lot of money. I was like, weather the storm. Even if you're cat, if you're burning money a little bit every single month, you can do it. I've been telling people to to take over their escrow payments, their 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 tax payments with their bank, so that they're not bleeding every monthly money. I mean, yeah, you're gonna get that tax bill at the end of the year, but at least you can at least you can pallet that monthly stipend, you know. And it's that's that's the hard part too with the taxes. And, and if anybody that doesn't know anything, Travis County 
jacked up the taxes. I mean, I don't know what the the average percentage increase was across the board. Does anybody know that data? I thought they were lowering it. We're not. No, this we're last not a stats year, this podcast, last, by the way. I, we shouldn't. Know. This this last yeah right. Nor will this, we post it. This this last tax bill, they increased everybody's tax rate based upon the data that was happening during the influx of these sales prices, which really crippled a lot of people, which has caused the panic selling because people's escrows, you know, I would say it was probably a 30% increase. I mean, I have people that were paying 500 bucks a month for taxes that went up to, you know, 1300 bucks in some oh, of these yeah. rural towns. Were they not homesteaded? These no, these investment properties. Oh, yeah. Primarily it, investment it hit properties. the investors. Well, but, just, but not letting the mortgage servicers run the show either. Like pe people dial it in and expect well, the mortgage servicers to, to protest the property taxes right. to, to to cross check insurance they're like they're not doing that well, and, and, and over, yeah, overnight they're not that overnight yeah. their mortgage payments went up you know 500 to a thousand dollars and when you have it rented out in these rural areas yep. that's locked into a lease yep. where the you know mm -hmm. the market rental rates are declining that's panic selling but i mean it's like I guess you know it'd be fun to look at the numbers and, and hear your perspective on hanging on to that for the next two years and letting that level out while you're burning, say, you know, four to six grand a year just to hold it yeah. versus selling and losing twenty grand just because you have to. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so it's it's hard for people who uh, have payments, of course, that are higher than the income that's bringing in, and right. the payments. I mean, you know. Uh, Principal, interest, taxes, insurance—that's just part of the equation. Then they got you guys. They got paid. Yeah. <laughs> then they got maintenance Greedy charges bastards. that are coming up, uh, and vacancy, make readies. <laughs> I mean, owning real estate—you know—is uh, it's not you know all all glitter like people think, but real wealth can be built through it. And yeah, so, like absolutely. right now, what we're focusing on is—I mean, uh, if I find a you know single-family home, like one percent rule doesn't work right now. Uh, with today's interest rates. No, Can you describe the 1% uh, rule just for the people who don't understand? Yeah, so 1% rule is, it's a very quick, easy way for someone to tell if they have uh, a good rental property uh, that will cash flow. And the 1% rule works like this. If you buy a house for 200,000, then you want it to rent out for 1% of that purchase price and monthly rent. So. Uh, 1% of 200,000 is $2,000 a month. It used to be the case that if you can find the 1% rule in Austin, that's a home run, that's Money. a steal, pull it, uh, buy it right now. It was very hard to negotiate those and find those. Uh, but now the 1% rule with 50% operating expenses, which you know taxes, insurance, management, mm -hmm. maintenance, uh, utilities, you're paying for utilities, uh, brings you down to about a six cap. And so if you're getting a 6% return on you know that property, if you were to buy it cash, uh, based on the net operating income you'd get, but your interest rate is at 8%, you're losing money. Right. Uh, and that's why commercial is is a great opportunity right now. <laughs> you love that commercial they game. Can't, they can't uh, sell it. What's uh, go, what's going to happen when that when that what you were talking about that one point four trillion comes around to a cycle? What do you think is going to? We were talking about happen? that. I have no idea. That's why the banks are so shaky right now. They, well, so they, they, they don't know what to do. And people might get people might get bailed out. There might be some new quasi-government agency uh, the sellers, created, or they might convert it to apartments potentially, the, the or they sellers, may have student loan forgiveness for. Well, yeah, everybody <laughs> always has John, I have a theory for how to solve student loan forgiveness, but you'll have to watch episode zero. <laughs> yeah. The sellers have a few options, and it's not just office space. I mean, we're talking about really nice multifamily assets, uh, nice industrial assets. Assets with good tenants in great locations, uh, you know, really good properties. Uh, the only thing that's changed is the interest rates. 
the income that those properties produce can no longer support the debt service of today's rates. So that's the issue. It's not even vacancy or people not going to the office. I mean, that's definitely a struggle. Part of it, yeah. Uh, but like even multifamily uh, buyers, you know, there's been a lot of people around here who, like we weren't buying these assets uh, three, five years ago. Uh, I was buying a single family home in Austin or a duplex here, you know. Uh, So there were a lot of people who were getting into the game, raising capital, buying these uh, assets in Austin specifically at, you know, three caps, four caps, uh, four and a half caps because their debt was so it was dirt cheap. Uh, And they paid these really high prices for these properties because the little income that they were getting was able to service the debt and they still have some cash flow. Right. Uh, but now they're unable to sell at those prices. And so they're trying to do a few things. They're trying to raise more capital for more investors to buy down rate caps, uh, to extend the loans, buy down the rate so they can service the debt. But I mean, you know, if they're asking somebody for a million dollars to come in, they're diluting their investor shares. Yeah. So that's, that's one thing. Yeah. I don't think that they're going to get those. It's not so much a pyramid scheme. It's just diluting the. Uh, well, yeah. It's diluting. They're, they're not going to get the original metrics that and they thought get, that and they, they were no. original and they're gonna, Investors are going to have to make. It's one of, what I've heard of it described as is one of the first times that big money is going to, or at least in a long time, big money is getting hit with this thing to where commercial real estate was pretty much like you're. You could screw up a deal, certainly, but commercial real estate was one of those like go-to workhorses for you know hedge hedge funds, insurance, insurance in, institutions, uh, other yeah. institutions. They were going after, it. and now that's that's not going to be the case. Whereas it was the little guys in two thousand eight who got who got hurt. Well, I mean, speaking of that, speaking of your you know your um, institutional investors on stuff. So we're talking about the one point five trillion in commercial debt that's coming up. What about all the people and all the industries? And institutions that have invested in that mm-hmm. invested yeah. in there's that gonna, high there's rise gonna be a trickle that, out. Yeah, so sure. there's definitely gonna be a ripple effect throughout the, the country so I, i've got a question for you and i guess both of you because you guys work with investors as well but how big was the impact of the overnight 50 percent price increase once the taxes came out uh on the new on the new amount so of course being investment property it's not covered under the homestead exemption so taxes had to have gone through the roof well that's what that's what i was referencing mm-hmm. earlier is that we had i mean i i think there was probably about a two-month period where justin and i both probably had to talk to at least a landlord a day about their escrows changes so it, it was overnight that you know you get a thing in the mail from your your mortgage lender and you yeah. say that you you know, it's your servicer that says your rates your monthly rates now going from you know a lot of these rural areas the rural ones were the ones that got hit the hardest because the rental rates were already lower in the scheme of things and they hit they had kind of the the biggest set of appreciation for the most part and that's where we target a lot of our investment properties i mean you know it's easier for us to to hit sub four hundred thousand dollar price points you know with an investor than it is to buy a two million dollar house in central austin so you know overnight these people are like i can't make this mortgage payment based on the rent that we have and that was challenging, man. And so that's why, you know, we, we Justin helped kind of create a platform to where we offered services for uh, tax protesting. So we did that. We, we didn't do it beforehand. I was kind of like, that's your thing. I don't know if you have somebody. I don't want to, I didn't want to like mess with that level. Because to me, that was like, 
kind of tiptoeing on asset management, right. which we do property management, which, yeah. are, and, which and is There wasn't a huge different. need either. It, it wasn't was a huge like, need, was, but when we, when we looked like we're going to see people peel off the management portfolio and that's going to affect us, and I was like, oh, no, we ain't. And so I started talking to like three or four different uh, property tax protesting companies, worked out a deal, and uh, worked, we wanted to make sure that it was easy to onboard, and we told clients, hey, we'll, we'll navigate this for you because there's just some landlords who – don't know and they're yeah. looking for that guidance and so we did that and uh, it eventually became like a a template email from from me that was you're getting beat over the head with the taxes and your costs here's what you need to do first it was like take over your escrow payments it's just like paying off a washer so, and, and dryer that, that was the main protest thing. your property taxes yeah. shop your insurance and then i think i had a couple other tips in there that i can't recall well and the insurance went up too so the insurance game went up too so everybody's getting hit with these increased taxes and th these are variable things that change your your principal and interest are locked in with your mortgage payment but the variable ones are going to be your taxes and your insurance and those two industries went crazy and bananas and this was I, recent i'll tell you what my car insurance bit me over well we had our last we had two insurance Fuck. brokers in here and it was illuminating to hear you know they're they're loving it because their industry is inflated so they're making more money well now, they're, they're, based all, like they're all we were. insurance is always making money and i would say just in general like mm -hmm. real estate or otherwise don't blame the market if you're not if you're not being successful it may be your time in the business or how or how uh, steady you are but there's always money to be made all the other downturns, all the Great Depressions, all the scares, all the panics in history, there was still somebody Some, yeah, making, making money. money. Why aren't you? Go figure it out. But That's you know, with the, the car insurance, I, I, you know, I spoke with my broker at length, and basically what's happening is the way they're building cars these days. Like I had a um, Lexus SUV, mm -hmm. and they totaled it out because of the airbags, not because of the damage to the car because it would have been too expensive to repair the airbags. Then you're getting cars like Tesla that is a single mold body, and you can't mm -hmm. just replace a fender. So their repairs have gone through the roof, and, and the number of cars that they're totaling out has gone through the roof. Even though if you look at the car and you're like, that doesn't look like $70,000 worth of damage, well, in order to build the whole body structure all over again, or you know, airbags are like two to $4,000 a piece. You blow the, 10 of those in your car, and. There goes your seventy or eighty thousand. A lot of it's just the industry yeah. as a whole and the frequency of yeah. claims due to the yeah. natural disasters that yeah. have been going on. That's, hail. That, that yeah. was hail. Did anyone get hail damage? That, so I don't think the companies are making the money, but I think your brokers no, no, no. that are getting paid. Well, well, that, for, well that, I think I think I mean. they're always going to keep. Yeah. And maybe maybe they get their margins get squeezed a little bit. Everybody's going to get squeezed, uh, hopefully. Um, but otherwise, I think it. I I think they're going to they're they're surfing. Yeah, they're, they're the, the big the boxes were losing money because of all the claims. They, fleeting markets for in, insurance brokerages, like they're leaving Florida and these these areas mm. that are just getting hit, which they're they're getting squeezed because they're having to pay out more than they're yeah. collecting. So premiums are going up. Yeah. Insurance salespeople they're making more money because they get percentages off these premiums. So the so their average deal. I'm for, sure they probably got adjusted. Though. Well, no, they're making one percent now. You're going to make We had people here. <laughs> about a, two three weeks ago and they haven't made too many changes yet so they're killing and they're loving it. and bravo for them too i mean that's market conditions for any industry you're in you know get it while it gets good but you know your average homeowner insurance funny i was talking to a lender the other day the, the mortgage i think they were representing the insurance deal where these mortgage insurance are still still you know still quoting a hundred dollars for for home insurance a month you know and it's laughable because these premiums 
they're not a hundred dollars anymore for an annual, you know, a month for twelve hundred dollars for an annual premium for a home. I mean, they've doubled almost to where that goes. Well, and the so, cost of replacement has doubled. Well, that's that's because the, you know material costs are up. They yeah. they had so many natural disasters that just depleted those banks. Yeah, which is crazy to me. And so yeah, I mean, you hit that with the taxes and the insurance too. You know what's mortgage. interesting that you said, um, you know. Homeowners insurance are pulling out of Florida. They're also pulling out of California. Yeah, they said and Cali. The next Florida. is Texas, and it's because of the hurricanes, and because of the, you know, the hurricanes, hurricanes, are, ha- hurricanes and hail, hurricanes and, and, hurricanes. and tornadoes in Dallas. And are you so, ready for some beef? I, I I hate to cut this short, guys, but we are we do need to be honest with our with our timing. Um, but I believe Brian. It was Brian who brought the topic up. So right? Brian, Brian so, uh, texted me when I was at the gym. After we, after we released the last one, I was trying. John, try- John, will you frame the beef? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm framing it's the beef. Tra- it's your turn to frame the beef. The frame the beef. I'm, I'm a little disappointed. I thought we were going to get some actual oh, beef. Here's, look, it comes to, hey, oh, don't, don't talk to me. I'm the Wagyu master. But that's another. That's another episode. <laughs> it's Wagyu um, king. Hey, frame the beef. A new shirt. Frame the beef. Frame we're, the beef. We're doing a. Um, we need merch. Cold stats. Cool or, stats. Cool stats. Um, oh, R.I.P. Episode three. What the fuck is so, frame the so beef? So frame the, I'm framing the beef here. I was at the gym trying to get my swole on when Brian was just texting me over and over again. It was a good dialogue. I'm glad you did it. But you basically referenced something after our last podcast about um, commission structures getting compressed and a lawsuit that's going on currently. Mm-hmm. I have some notes. The, be- the beef my- has been framed. I'm giving you the beef. Uh, okay, <laughs> just for just for a viewer audience who probably doesn't care, let me just spell it out for you guys. There are two lawsuits happening right now. We have Merle versus versus Nar and Sitzer and Burnett, uh, and they're t- they're trials based upon the commissions that are charged to buyers agents and they're happening in two different i believe states but um it's it's wrapped around the national association of realtors policy known as the participation rule which requires listing brokers to make an offer of compensation to buyer brokers in order to submit a listing to the like the local realtor mls system so if you post a listing on the mls system you also have to post a commission now, in general, uh, at least in Texas, I'm not going to speak out of turn for any other states or anywhere else, um, commissions are negotiable. You could post whatever you want to. Um, I've even seen, I've seen zeros. I've seen, I've seen 1%, One, I've seen 2%, seven, I've seen 3%, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen more. I've even seen 3% plus bonuses. That's, that's not too crazy. Um, but the key point is that, um, that the uh, uh, plaintiffs are making is that um, they're alleging that the buyers, the buyers agents are selecting properties based upon the, they're selecting properties that they'll show to their clients based upon the com- the commission uh, that is posted. Um, this this recently within recent history has been banned that you cannot do it. And as far as I'm aware, I, I mean, think the Texas Real Estate License Act said <laughs> that you can't do that anyways. How but, do you control that though? How do you monitor exactly, that? Like how are you going to control it? Um, but it's saying that um, they're saying that the industry is colluding as a whole to keep the the buyer agent commissions and I guess listing agent commissions boosted whereas in a time where the internet has really kind of eroded a lot of people's um you know uh, all industries have the prices have been coming down digitization Mm -hmm. it's not happening with real estate which i contend it's a physical not a digital thing so good luck (laughs) um but they're saying that like hey why isn't there why aren't there price changes on 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 this commission structure and uh, and is it the industry that's colluding? And so they're bringing in the head, the presidents of the National Association of Realtors, uh, Keller Williams CEO Gary Keller uh, was brought in. Home was it Home Services? 
So, what's the guy's name? So are they targeting broker so, to principal um, agreements for commissions and try to stabilize well, it? At least I mean, there's a couple of things here. First yeah, off, tell us more broadly. First off, it's the sellers don't think they should be paying the buyer's agent. They yeah. think the buyer should be paying the buyer's agent. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the big thing. Um, the second thing is that NAR has a monopoly. Like with MLS data, every MLS is very, very tight with their data because they own the data. Uh, even though it does become public, I mean, you can pull a deed and it's going to show you like the sales price and loan amount. Stuff like that. Anyway, um, so when I started real estate, there were books that you flipped through and you would get the addresses and then you would have to drive and look at that house. There wasn't My any grandma talks about that. She's like 90 full. How old are you? I'll give you a 10 second head start. <laughs> Get him, bro. Get him. You're not as thin or as nimble as you used to be. Yeah, I know. I know. Me, guy. on the other hand, I got parts of me that are only two years old. John, so. you ain't driving no Jaguars now, buddy. Yeah. What's so, your Jaguar now? So, um, it, you would do more damage to my Jaguar now than yeah. my Jaguar would do to you. So, so, you know, back then, it 3% was, you know, because you got to drive around, you've got a lot more expenses and stuff, and it takes a lot more time. Now, a homeowner can get on the internet and find whatever they want. So yeah. the consumer's thought is, why am I paying all this money when I'm doing all the work? Compared to the old day, the olden days. The old days. Oh, God, did but, I just but, say but, that? But that, but that relationship, <laughs> though, exists between the seller's broker and the principal itself. It's not controlled necessarily by <clears throat> other entities. So I, I guess compressing that entire, you know, whatever standard of 6%. It's there, not a standard. Trek says we I cannot know. use the term. As soon as that word came out of my mouth, I knew you unclippable, were going to Unclippable moment. Unclippable. Yeah. Yeah. Edit moment. Edit well, moment. I, so, but, but you're in a really sticky situation because if you ask the buyers to pay the 3%, now you're going to throw LTV out the window because you're adding to the price of the house. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. If you continue to make the seller pay it, they're going to be like, well, I'm not paying 3%. I'm going to give you 4% and then they're going to give the other, the cooperating broker 1%. I, I, I've been in real estate. I know mm -hmm. how it works. And I know no matter what the law says, people are going to be like, I got to feed my family. You know how much regulation would go in, go into place if they had to regulate that? That would be regulate what say, specifically? The, 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 there's the, no uh, a broker uh, can agent, charge agent, a, basically a, agent a, commissions a principal for well, listing for, their house. Yeah, so for example, if I'm a, if I'm a buyer's agent, right, and I'm going out and I've got a choice of ten houses. I got you. I understand. This house pays three yeah, yeah. percent. This right, one pays right. one. This pays for sure. Which yeah. one am I going to show? Then, then how about we regulate the, the disclosures on that? Don't disclose it until you get to the HUD statement as far as what you're going to make. I mean, I don't know. There's other ways to do it. That, that's my, that beef. Could add, that's that's my beef with today's beef. Ooh, that's a is good that, solution. Is, is that, is that, that has nothing to do with that the buyer's, buyer's agent. agent will be pissed. And well, also, that, that you're just going to have more people Okay, exit. but answer this point. It's between the broker and the principal who sets those commission rates. So what? that's a slippery slope because there are people that don't charge 6%. It's a variable. There's nothing that is... Set in stone. As far I think, as what I think it works. needs to be disclosed. All you have to, do, all you should have to do, is disclose it in the contract. Well, I think what? one of the issues the, that the the the, the commission rates for everybody have it be disclosed in the contract. Call it a day because we're still having two parties. It would still be the listing agent who is. So you're saying at, at least don't in Texas, disclose it on MLS. That's not the problem. No one's listening to what I'm saying. The, MLS and the contract. No one's listening to what I'm saying. What saying? Yeah. The, sellers are pay, the beef is that the sellers are paying for the buyer's commission, right? Yeah, that's one of the beefs. Okay, yeah. that one gets established before you even hit the market. So, yeah. so I don't understand. That's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't matter if you just 
disclose it either way because the seller's still paying that 6%. It doesn't matter where it goes. Right, but what if they're I, saying let, is let, that let the seller needs to stop Let me that. finish. <laughs> well, but that there are that that's nothing that's regulated right now and nothing that's concrete anyways. You go to Redfin. They only charge sellers 1%. A Redfin house historically and statistically will sit longer than a real agent that can pound the pavement and actually make it happen because it hasn't been transformed into this digitized system until someone creates a legitimate, which AI approaching, now there may be a platform for, for the efficiency to be the same, but there have been multiple background studies. Again, we're not a stat podcast, so I don't have them to pull out of my ass, but there are stats that show the days on market, the overall return between a 6% real live agent versus these discount agents. There's Listing Spark, there was Redfin, Open door, Texas discount. All, these, all these places that do these discount deals, well, they still don't undercut the buyer's agents. They just take less as a listing platform, which deg- kind of, I don't know, kind of lessens their value proposition on their motivation to get this thing sold. So when you come back to me where the motivation is, is on the buyer side, not showing the right right commission structures, how about when you water down what a seller's getting paid, does that water down their efficiency to try to sell the home? It's a slippery fucking slope. And until someone regulates it, it's going to have to be uniform throughout to compete with. And if the argument is that there's digital platforms that can make this more efficient, so why are we paying humans to do it? That argument will not stand no, because that, I, can, I that, agree that, with you. that can be that can be blown up with stats in a heartbeat. Okay, inhale. Uh, popcorn Alex. <laughs> popcorn <laughs> Alex. So, so or you have to break it down to different issues. <laughs> one is <laughs> one is the uh, importance of having a realtor involved in your transaction two is the legality of who is to pay for whose services if you have to remove the fact that yes having a realtor is going to make it smoother they know how to maneuver everything they know how to you know inspections and title they they're going to help you through this they're going to help you with who, who pays for the e o insurance if a deal so goes hold bad. On. we're talking about the importance of having a realtor so everybody right. out that's out there that thinks they're going to hop on you know, realtor.com and buy a house without a realtor is a really, really shitty move, first off. It's extremely risky. I wouldn't suggest it. It is extremely risky. Um, but you're, but you're, uh, hold on, but you, and you continue, but you are fully capable of doing that right now. And at least in Texas, um, in other markets, I don't know, but Texas Real Estate Commission posts all the contracts you need. You can, you have the internet at your disposal. Mm-hmm. If you feel like you want to be so cavalier with one of the biggest financial investments in your life yeah. that you don't that you don't want to go with the status quo as is, then do it and how go people, for it and take people, and how take many people the risk. Go to court, courtroom without a lawyer. I mean, yeah. like, this is another. they won't let you. Well, you, you have to you represent, represent yourself, you represent but yourself. you know the same. You can represent yourself. <laughs> well, it doesn't Alex. matter. I mean, the sellers are paying for the buyer's agent's commission anyways. That's right, and so, and, and so that's but that's the issue with the seller, I is know. why am I paying for right. your representation? So I think what a good solution would be is that when the listing agreement is taken, the amount of commission is, is discussed and settled on, then it's split 50-50. Well, that's and already- it's not disclosed until the offer is made through the contract because that will completely remove any bias. Yeah, but that's two different problems. It, are, is, is, the, is the argument in a lawsuit that sellers are paying someone else commission or is the argument in a lawsuit that buyer's agents are steering people based on commissions? It's kind of, it's, 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 kind it's, kind both. of kind of both. It's kind of both. There's also there's one. Also, there's also two that, lawsuits. That, that's gonna get burned into the ground. We won't be talking about this in about two or three months when this is all finalized, maybe further than that. This is not a real argument. 
It is an argument on. right now in front of a U.S. court. It's <laughs> well, a that, huge that, argument. That, 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 <laughs> hang, hang on, I want to hear what Alex has well, to say. He's uh, so we're talking about uh, framing the beef here. So yes. I understand. Yes. Uh, <laughs> framing the beef. I, I know the beef. I know the court case. I've been following it. I've been uh, listening to people. But what is the beef here today? Like, what are we saying the beef is? We're just what, talking about. Well, actually, so typically, typically we have beefs. But today is like I I don't think I can I don't think I'm gonna rob the beef out of the people who have who have beef with uh, agent commissions or how they're structured. I feel like it's its own beef and it's kind of like just fun to talk. The, Beefs are usually like conversation yeah, yeah, yeah. starters. Alex, sometimes if, it's something that I have a problem with or something that if is you've been a following industry it, thing. I, I want to know your perspective on what ground they have and how much. This. How much evidence on both sides, I guess. Well, I don't think that they're actually... I think today is uh, like week two or three okay. of the trial. Uh, so I don't know if everything has been uh, outlined yet. It's also not... You know, uh, I don't think you can watch it live, it's right? Public. So, yeah. but there is public information being let out about what's being said, and you know, Gary's opening statement, and NAR's opening statement, and so on and so forth. Um, my ultimate opinion on it is uh, I look at things like this, just like the rise in interest rates, uh, just like I was wrong. But when COVID happened, I was like, great, this is going to be a, a huge opportunity for us to make some money on investing. Right. But when something like this comes up, uh, I'm like, good, you know, great. Uh, a lot of people, uh, just my opinion, uh, a lot of people get comfortable with things. A lot of people are not able to maneuver and shift. A lot of people uh, like things that are easy. Not saying that any of this is, but when something big like this comes and shakes up the industry and a lot of people are like, oh shit, what do we do yeah. now? I'm like, good, get out of the way. We're gonna maneuver, we're gonna figure it out. We don't, you know, like personally, we don't make money off of uh, this directly uh, anyways as representing clients in this way. Uh, Matt and I ultimately represent ourselves. Right. Uh, we're our, our best client, we're the, uh, the ultimate client and so, you know, in situations like this, when sellers can't sell, rising interest rates, we're learning and taking on sub two deals, seller finance deals, we're working a whole lot of other things that other people aren't able to do. Uh, but when something like this shifts and changes uh, within the industry and it's on the horizon, uh, I don't know the answer, uh, but I just look at it as, all right, here's another huge opportunity uh, for us to come in and take some more market share and whatever it might be. And so that's kind of like how I look at it. I like it. that approach. I guess my opinion on it and not being so heated. I, I, I think Gary Keller for years have been saying that commission rates will get compressed over time. <clears throat> Technology will steal that just like every other industry that it's, you know, sprinkling into technological singularity. is a real thing. I, don't I, let me, don't I, get me I, on that. I have a counter. I have a counter. Don't, keep going. Don't get me on that. But that will happen at some point where they can digit. I've always thought, you know, there has to be some platform that merges title, insurance, mortgage, and the real estate side. Oh, yeah. And create one there. umbrella. Right. I know. But it, the efficiency of it has to grow and actually has to be usable. And that probably is on a horizon. Will we see it in our lifetime? I don't know. I hope not. I don't like change. It makes me weird. But I think I think it's going to happen at some point. So I guess my argument is this just the beginning of the talking heads giving something to bitch about so that we have a lawsuit and something to throw in the news articles. I just don't know what grounds they have to change and completely revamp a system and structure with with minimal regulations in this arena and create that with a with this big I mean they would have to go to war against all the major brokerages and that's what in they're the United doing. States. Well, that's, that, that's, that's exactly they're doing. what they're doing. Right you know who wins most of those arguments and most of those wars are the people with a fuck ton of money. Well here yeah, I know. Here here's the thing though is uh 
you know, this isn't just some random lawsuit against KW or, or whomever. They are going after all the major uh, brokerages. Uh, Remax uh, settled uh, their lawsuit already. Mm-hmm. Quite uh, a few of them have. Redfin. Uh, Redfin, or maybe with, without changing Redfin, Redfin the Redfin commission structures. Redfin, no, there's they, a couple of changes out. Change, I'll let Alex they're, finish. They're changing it afterwards. Uh, and so this isn't just some random little lawsuit that always happens, you know, to real estate brokers who accept all that liability. I mean, these are uh, these are lawsuits being brought forward that will potentially the outcome of it will shape what happens next. It, it, um, it will. And yeah. the it, other thing too is that it's not just about that. It's. Uh, they're saying that NAR and the leaders of these brokerages uh, are colluding mm-hmm. uh, and conspiring to, you know, whatever they're saying they're doing. So the Collusion. issue is, yeah, the <laughs> issue is, is that they have to prove this, right? And this is where Gary Keller came in on uh, his opening statement. And, you know, uh, and a lot of these people who are fighting these lawsuits are coming in and saying, well, show me the proof because there is no proof necessarily. Uh, I don't think that there actually is. Because you can't track They're, they're, they're using, when, when the industry taught, and I, I did, I brushed up on this beforehand. Um, there's, what the plaintiffs are saying is that um, the brokerages are perpetuating something that's been kind of figured out and like the dust is kind of settled uh, already already and um they're they're saying that's that uh these brokerages are just perpetuating this idea in in into the into the future despite all these changes to the market um and that's a valid argument. here here's here's a result here's a result uh well i i, w- I do have a counter because i do want to defend what we do um the right result is Remax and Redfin now don't. Re- Here, here's the big whopping change, and the one that I've been kind of thinking about for a while. Not that I want NAR to kick me out or anything like that. Please don't. Um, but uh, they, it, Remax and Redfin now don't require membership to NAR. Yeah, that at was one the, point in time, I might yeah. have told, I might have told a large brokerage owner in a in a mastermind workshop to walk out on NAR if they kept seeding seeding all their candy and value proposition to Zillow but he he was just like oh, whatever I'm like oh, well, well see I how, mean, see and if you goes. look at that relationship of you know large brokerage houses having to have their members join NAR and pay those dues to NAR and then NAR creating this environment of a 6% interest with 3% going. Mm-hmm. So it looks like almost a, you scratch my back, I'll scratch but your that's, back but type that, of thing. But whatever, here, here's the blinders that everyone puts on themselves. There's, there's two. One is, is that when you get out of, when you get out of residential sales, the commission structures change. If you go mm-hmm. regional, the commission structures change. You talk to you talk to some sweet old lady who needs to sell her house, and she doesn't have money to go into the new nursing home that need, she isn't going to go into. And she may say, "Well, I can only do it for four percent." You're like, "Ah, fuck it, I'll do it for four percent, whatever." There's negotiations that happen. There's nothing set in stone. Real estate commissions are not standard according to the Texas Texas Real Estate Commission. Those are cho- those are chosen by two principals in an agreement, the listing broker and the seller. And the seller has to agree to it and the listing broker has to agree to it. Otherwise, that seller can go to a discount broker all day long yeah. or try to sell it themselves if they feel that they're so inclined. Right. So this is where it's going to start to break down. This is where it's going to start to break down. But if you go into like if you go in, so that's the first one. Uh, commercial brokers uh, have like a four, at least from what I'm aware of, have kind of like a four percent, two percent setup, and maybe one percent. Mm-hmm. And it depends on if they're doing if anything, rentals to or the, not. To the buyer broker, yeah, yeah and so most goes to the broker. buyer broker. Yeah. And the listing yeah. broker gets gets null. So well, then that gets a, then that gets a little bit. I weird. mean, that's like if you look at the Houston rental market and the Austin rental market. So when I was in Houston, you get a hundred percent of the first month's rent. Mm-hmm. 
here in Austin, it's like thirty percent or something like that. For, well, that's thirty rent. to fifty percent. But, 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 but it's a commission. What's the difference between again? Same that goes back to it. What's the difference between leasing it and selling it? Are we still talking commissions well, and here? On that, on How that long note, before the it, leasing starts? Exactly, New York City, and the commissions Manhattan. are really different just between Houston and Austin. In yeah. New York City, Manhattan, you have to pay an agent to find you a rental. It's there are no commissions. Landlords do not pay out for it, and that's a supply and demand thing. That's my beef too with this beef is that you got beef. It, it changes. Beef. <laughs> it changes. I mean, He's got like a lot the, of beef. As the market changes, the commission structure changes. That's why there's nothing set in stone. That's why there's no, there's no standard. So it's like they're trying to create a standard on something and, and bullshit about something that has been somewhat adjustable since the beginning of of the industry. So it's like, <clears throat> but but the argument is yes, it's adjustable. But how is that affecting the buyer's agent? You know, and and first off, then don't then it, don't disclose it. it. That, don't disclose that, the that, could, that could be fixed, but don't as far, as, the as, far as the complaints, I, I, the I complaints agree. about the commission, right, we just fix it don't, all. Don't, don't, don't disclose, disclose it until contract. contract. Can we now wrap you this had up? said something that I, that just kicked me but in the that, gut. What's that? It you said something about you having to justify what you do. Oh, I'm pre- I'm prepared right now. To, and I'm to like, I don't, it, the fact that that's even a, like I've about I've, ten minutes. I've been a real estate agent. Mm-hmm. I know what's all involved. Now, what most mm-hmm. people don't realize, and if you're listening and you think, oh, real estate agents make a whole lot of money, I want to be a real estate. Okay, first off, that's just 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 fucking not true. There's like a ninety five percent drop off rate in, your, in the you first. You can make a lot of money, but what they don't realize is that okay, let's say you sell a million dollar house, it's three percent three percent. You're going to get thirty grand, right? Now, of that thirty grand, how much are you going to give your broker? Of that thirty grand, you're self-employed, so you have to pay regular taxes plus an additional fifteen percent self-employment tax. Then you have to pay for your MLS dues, your ABOR dues. You have to pay for your uh, TAR dues, your NAR dues. You have to pay for your offices. You have to pay for, I mean, your insurance, your gas. Your there is so much overhead being a realtor that at the end of the day, you you get a pot this big and you end up with a pot this big. That's that's one angle of it. Uh, I am a firm believer that um, you can't digitize everything in this world. You're not going to be able to digitize a beach unless you get some sort of matrix situation. Good luck. Have fun with that all day. But I'm going to live here and right now. But um, when people say, "Oh, well, we well, used to have," what is it on Star Trek? The the room, the holodeck. The holodeck. But yeah, you, yeah but, you, but your value comes from representation. It doesn't come it, from finding or it doesn't or, come from finding homes because it, people could always draw. People yeah. could always scout Find neighborhoods the on their on their own. That wasn't that wasn't exactly that was one nugget of value. But we have other nuggets of value of knowing vendors, navigating contracts, knowing knowing the ins and outs, who to talk to you how to talk to people hey i'm hey client i smell blood in the water on this one we need to cut hard and cut deep and I, and if i tell you that we're going to make this offer they're going to reject us and i know it we're going to walk away and then we're going to come back two weeks later we're going to come get it and lo and behold it happens and everyone's like oh wow you got like 40k off of this thing and and everyone's tap dancing but no one's going to be thinking about that because they thought you didn't provide the you were not the one providing the pictures of the house so <laughs> so here, here's the thing if this does affect it uh Though the professionals out there, the true real estate professionals who know how to add value will always totally. be fine. Those what? who don't know how to add value and maybe actually aren't adding real value to a transaction. And shouldn't be in client, the industry. You know, he was calling them uh, underwear yeah, agents. Underwear. Yeah, yeah. Underwear, said, uh, the coffee shop agents. But so here's, I want to say like, because uh, I'm going to put this out there and hopefully uh, if this does happen, we get some uh, deals sent our way. Do it, Alex. If anybody, uh, <laughs> if, if buyer agents do stop getting paid and, and your clients are forced to pay you and there's some people out there who are uh, out of some work, uh, come with us. 
find us some deals and we'll pay your commission every single time. There you go. And if you learn how to figure out a way to find the value, find the deals, find whatever it might be, there's always going to be someone who's willing to pay for that value. But if you're not, you know, figuring out how to actually add real value to a transaction and help somebody out and get a much better deal and do the things this guy was just talking about, then you're probably not going to get paid. Well, I guess on, on, on the underwear agent situation too, I mean, how much of this is on the coattails of our market going bananas and just a bunch of dipshit making a fuck ton of money? Yep. So now there's just a reason yep. for these people to bitch and yep. be like, oh my God, we sold so much real estate and all these people made a bunch of money. That's what I meant by, is this just another deal? I mean, I, I get it. Did anybody, did any of these findings change the commission structures well you have well, to realize actually, commission structures will will probably change but it's going to be a state-by-state basis this lawsuit has been going on for almost a decade yeah. it's just now hitting the court so this isn't like something that just popped up overnight and um you know we're talking about what it, what a realtor brings and, and what that's worth and there's a you know story about like a plumber he goes out he looks at the job and he replaces a screw and the guy's like, I paid you $125 to replace a screw. He goes, no, you paid me $10 to replace a screw and you paid me a hundred and whatever dollars for my education, my knowledge and my know-how around how to find the problem, how to maneuver through it and how to fix it. So- I don't know what screw to replace. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's very the, similar to the, the, the realtor's value doesn't come in finding a house. That's not the realtor's value. The realtor's value is being that guide and that navigator through the entire process and being able to consult them when certain things pop up you know that's where the realtor's value comes in and that's why the buy especially the buyer the buyer's rep is doing the majority of the work because the buyer's rep is the one that has to you know read through title read through um yep. we're not lawyers they're not lawyers so well, have you ever worked have you ever worked title, a, they ain't doing have you ever worked to deal with about a year shown 60 plus houses and every bit of effort that I put towards it obviously was to build a relationship but was not monetarily you know receptive I mean like I didn't make money until I hit that closing line or closing timeline at the end of that 60 house showing gauntlet and a whole year I mean you at the beginning of my career I would sell my soul to go work a buyer and that was just part uh, you'll of, still sell your good. soul I just still depends. like selling my soul you didn't have one but left question, <laughs> you're so short we you can't sell something you don't have because dude souls aren't, <laughs> souls aren't every day type of thing <laughs> these, kind of, these, agent. these kind of topics are great we can unpack this forever I do want to ask a question to, to, the, to the world if you feel so inclined Reply to this in the comments. As a buyer, anybody that's purchased a house before on the buyer side, if things change and you had to spend upwards of, let's just say, one to two percent of the sales price on which you purchased on, would you pay that to an agent to represent you, or would you go flounder yourself and go try to make it happen yourself without having to navigate, without having to pay an agent to help you navigate it? Let's hear what the world has to say if things do change. As let's far bump as it up to three percent right now. Yeah, as well. Well, whatever. I mean, uh, let's talk about. I mean, we're not going to cut short. I am. I'm worth my weight. What's interesting with that question though is you're asking someone who doesn't know anything about the process to make an opinion if they need I, I help with the process. I, I, if they so it's like you don't well, know what no, you don't this know. is their past experience they may have purchased people a home people that purchased a house that's that's you, a pretty if, if you purchased a home purchased a house before and your agent was awesome or your agent sucked or you were just like <laughs> that guy was there you let us know in the comments below or thank and, god i had an agent and, if, if and, i represented you say that let's uh just text okay me first. so there are two, yeah, there are two little first, bits of nuggets that i want to leave you guys with so earlier you had mentioned a cash out refi I absolutely, I was a banker for six years. I absolutely advise against a cash out refi. Agreed. The reason being is if you do a cash out refi, you cannot pull more equity out of that home. You have to refinance it 
into a non-equitable product, then you have to refinance it again into another cash out refi. If you open a home equity line of credit, it's like a big credit card. Yes, it's an adjustable rate, but it'll stay open for 15 years, 20 years, whatever the bank is offering. So you can use that back and forth without having to constantly refi twice in order to get pull more equity. That is a smart, that's a smarter use of the money. Yeah, I mean, it's, don't it's go, try not to go backwards on, the, on these assets. I mean, that's probably what Alex preaches the whole time. I mean, ideally, you guys are trying to find find these home runs. Why would you cripple yourself once you're in it? You know, oh, we, you we to... preach the cash out refi, baby. Boys got tricks. I feel like we've got some people that uh, that deserve to come on again. We could, we could yeah, keep let's, talking, let's but I, I do want to give you all an opportunity. Brian, look deeply into that camera. Tell people how to find you in case they want to do business with you or anything thing like that that you so want to know? uh you can reach me at b walker at zonda home that's z-o-n-d-a home.com uh one more piece of nugget that i have for you guys and you guys mm-hmm. is if you have a buyer that's not qualifying they're just a little bit short of qualifying look at new construction because a lot of buyers are offering a permanent buy down incentive Oh, builders, so, yeah. builders, yeah. It's yeah. a builders, yeah, sorry. So builders are offering that buy down incentive. So go look at new construction because you can get in right now some for four and a half, five percent. Yeah, it's great, right there's now. a ton of deals. So there, there is possible ways to buy, and again, buying new construction is gonna be able to give you that permanent buy down, so. Like don't it. fear the market. Don't Alex, fear the market. Or the Reaper. Alex, how can, I was going to say that too. Alex, how can people find you guys? Uh, which one am I looking at? Uh, this this one right across from us. All right. So uh, camera number one. You camera can find, number one. <laughs> you can, <laughs> contestant one. number one. You can uh, find us uh, on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, uh, Facebook, any of the social media platforms, TypeQ Real Estate. Come see us in uh, uh, December in Dallas. We put on a real estate workshop. Go to trecommunity.com forward slash R-E-W-S. We'll see you there. Maybe nice. we'll get Wonderful. you guys to come. Let's oh, try, to, let's try, to, let's try um, to blast this on, on the on the screen. Hey, everyone. Let, find these people. Seek them out. They do great work. I have uh, one more question for both of you. Brian, you're going to need to look deeply into this camera again. <laughs> yeah, he's in and you're going yeah. to look, you're gonna need to channel this for the person who's going to see it because you're going to send it to him later on. Okay. I want you to challenge someone that you know that should be on, needs to be heard, has some good insights. Challenge them to come on to here. Um, probably the person I'm going to challenge is Keith Hughes. And the reason being, he used to work at Zonda and he was on the builder side, I'm on the mortgage side. But he's now working for a company called Vive. And they're changing the way homes are being built. They're changing the way construction happens. Um, It hasn't quite hit taxes yet, but there are a lot of alternative build methods that are coming out that I think would make a great show to understand kind of how housing is shifting in in america so i know i would love to hear all the different ones because you've got 3d printing you've got um prefab and modular and um i don't know enough about this company lego blocks lego blocks lincoln logs lincoln logs (laughs) (laughs) now you're talking i can build a lincoln log house i remember those you remember those first came out so um keith hughes i do challenge you i try to get you on but you're in san diego um come on bring it come on we ain't flying you out, but if you come and buy, come on by. He lives in Austin. He lives. He oh, lives okay, in Buda, right down the road from me. Alex, so. Alex is there Chal- anyone else that you want that you want to challenge? Look deeply in the camera one over here and uh, let them know they need to be here. You're very Johnny Menzel esque. You know that? <laughs> I've been is told that. A good that thing? Yeah. I don't know. Wasn't he, wasn't he a fucking right mess? <laughs> well, just his visual. I mean, so just I'm like, where are you going with this, Josh? This is on a yeah. good day. <laughs> <laughs> so it'd be good if y'all get Matt to come on. Uh, yeah. But 
uh, other than Matt, we'll try and uh, get uh, Polly Campanero to get on. Okay. Hey, Polly. Hey, Polly. Get Polly over Come on, Polly. Well, guys, uh, thank you so much for a hey, wonderful a podcast. Please come hey, back and see us again. Everybody, don't forget, never be afraid to frame the beef. Frame the beef. Frame the beef. Let's make those t-shirts. Right. Thank you, everyone. Have nice a great guys. day. Take care of yourself.